Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Today, we're going to talk about power. How do you understand the power you have? How do you grow the power you have? And more importantly, how do you use that power for a good purpose, for a good cause? Um, we want to talk about the ways that you give away your power intentionally and accidentally. And all of that has great implications. If you find that you are stuck with a boss that you're not particularly enjoying, who isn't giving you necessarily what you need, or if you're caught between two stakeholders who are demanding you do completely different things, or if you're trying to exert your influence among your peers, this podcast is going to be the one that gives you clues on what to do. So my guest today is Dr. Sharon Melnick. She is a premier expert on being in your power as a leader, and she's an authority on resilience. Now, her methods are informed from 10 years of research at Harvard Medical School and then field tested by over 40,000 participants at Fortune 500 companies. She's an international speaker, a trainer, and her presentations have created buzz all over the world at business conferences, at the White House, at West Point in the U.S., and at the United Nations. Her first book, which was a great bestseller, Success Under Stress, Powerful Tools to Stay Calm, Confident, and Productive When the Pressure's On, and the book we're talking about today, In Your Power, React Less, Regain Control, and Raise Others. Now, I also happen to know that Sharon is an avid runner, a dance floor lover, and a student of human evolution. And she has her own podcast called Power Shift. So Sharon, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I am super excited about this book. Boy, do we need it so badly, so badly. I talk to so many people who don't understand their power. We've had too many academic framings of it that don't help people in sort of a practical way. And I'm excited to talk to you about it. But first, my first question always, Sharon, why? Why did you get interested in this topic? Yeah, well, I've uh, always been interested in this topic because uh, I'm somebody who hasn't been in my power for most you know, of my life. So I'm always trying to get back to kind of good in me so that I can act in a way that helps me get the outcomes I want for my life and makes it better for everyone around me. And I think it's especially relevant in these times like I think we have more consciousness about these issues because I think we've come through a time where uh, many of us are kind of like um, the way that things have been business as usual. Uh, I'm no longer going to allow anyone else to make me feel less than or to you know put me in a state where I'm overwhelmed uh, and burned out. And um, you know people are just much more aware of like they react to situations. Many of us are kind of spinning: Should I stay? Should I go? In the job, in the relationship, you know, we're kind of searching our our triggers from the past uh, experiences are getting activated and people are like, this is not feeling so good. And uh, I'm kind of lost and I'm, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what's a clear path forward. But I think people are like, I, I want, uh, I don't want it to be this way anymore. You know what I mean? And, and when the world isn't the way that we want it to be, um, 
you know, then uh, we're, we're kind of searching to get back to a place where we can make it more uh, along the vision that we have. So, and I think that there's a lot of power that's shifting uh, in the world. We see this with, you know, people leaving uh, the workplace. We see this uh, in terms of like politically, you know, people are, are, are kind of, you know, like they they um, are opposed to kind of what other people are doing. And, and people, I think they just feel like, I, I want to make things more, um, I want to feel like I have more control and I want to make, use my emotional energy to make a difference and not to be drained feeling like the world is happening to me. Yeah. 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 Use our energy to make a difference. Boy, don't we all. Um, and how we define difference may, may be different between all of us. Sharon, the way you just said that about not allowing anyone to make or leave me feeling less than, I think is a really important statement. And as you said, it reminds me that that has been my personal life mission mm -hmm. to kind of make sure that I am in control in my power, in your words, so that I'm not in feeling intimidated. Mm -hmm. or not allowing somebody to manipulate me, I guess are the words I might use. But mm -hmm. it's my professional mission to help mm -hmm. people understand how they have more control in any given situation than they might realize. Mm -hmm. And that sense of agency is what is so exciting to watch mm -hmm. develop in people and recognize that people, even in a not an easy situation, you have more power than you realize you do. You have more control than you realize you do. You have so much more power uh, than you think you do. And you can use it for good. And, you know, just to start off here talking about this term power is that a lot of us uh, were uncomfortable with the term. Uh, we immediately associate it with like force over others, selfishness, manipulative, you know, like just like you were saying. And that's only the case when someone is in power but they're not in their power, right? Okay. So um, that means that uh, like if you are uh, in a position of power, whether that's, you know, li literally kind of in, a, you know, a, a company or a community or even like within a family uh, dynamic, uh, if, you, if that's the case, but if you're not in your power, then you're going to try to use people or you're going to, you know, lord that over people or criticize or hoard or exclude or uh, whatever it is, because you're trying to get to a good place in you or uh, feel that you're, you know, do what you have to do to feel that you're going to be okay and taken care of. But being in your power is of a totally different character. Okay. In your power, uh, it actually comes from the Latin root passe, the word power, which means to be able. Mm. So being in your power is really, it's an ability, right? It's the ability to stay good in you, to know that you are okay in this moment. You can land, you will be okay. You can use that agency like you're talking about in order to create an outcome, right? Which is kind of what you want and need for your life. And actually not only that, but that you can make it better for everyone around you. And what's happening is that when we're in these situations where we're kicked out of our power, so whether you're a leader who has people 
on your team and you just can't get them to like live up, you know, to your expectations. Or if uh, you're um, a talented, you know, oftentimes a, a talented woman who is overlooked or undervalued uh, for, you know, advancement, or maybe someone in your personal life who is just, you know, it's all about them and not, you know, about you. So these situations can kick us uh, out of our power. And when we act from that place, usually the way that we try to make it better even makes it worse, makes it more entrenched. So for many of the things that we're trying to change and make better in terms of our culture, in terms of, you know, effectiveness and innovation, we're coming from a place where we're not in our power, right? And so we're perpetuating these dynamics. And then we're like, well, why isn't it, you know, why isn't it getting better? Why aren't they changing? Mm -hmm. And really when, when you're in your power, that's when you shift the power dynamic. And that's when you can act in a way where you have efficacy and it actually makes the situation better. Okay. All right. I want to talk about this issue about trying to change, but let's pause that one for a minute because I sort of get the sense of what you mean by being in your power. And you said the words, it's being able to, to be in the good in you. And that is to create an outcome that's good for you as an individual and also an outcome that is better for other people. Now, that doesn't mean it's necessarily ideal or perfect. It just means it's better. It moves things in a good direction, I would assume. But yeah. that's an elusive still definition of what we mean by in your power. Can you give me an example of what in your power looks like? Yeah. So a great way to think about this is that uh, the difference between being the thermometer and being the thermostat. So when you're not in your power, your experience is more like the thermometer where you like your mental and emotional state is kind of going up and down, you know, reacting to the people uh, around you. So your experience is more like the casualty rather than the creator in the experience. What you want is to be the thermostat. That's when you set the tone. You decide who you are and what you believe about yourself. You have a vision of how things could be and you kind of shepherd people along and you bring people uh, toward it. And, you know, it's it's an experience of having more control, right? right. The, the thermostat actually... Uh, harmonizes like all of the elements, you know, like the air and the motion of the people and the humidity and all these things, and is kind of like the steward uh, of the situation. So like, let me give you an example. Great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So many, many examples we'll talk through here. But like, for example, uh, I coached a, a woman in a company where when I first met her, one of the first things she said to me is, I just can't do it anymore. Like she was ready to leave, right? She was just up to here. Many of us maybe have had those moments, if not many. And uh, so she felt like she didn't have any power. She was being the thermometer. She was like, you know, my manager is texting me from 7 a.m. till 11 p.m. Um, my peers kind of aren't doing their job right. And everything that's falling through their cracks is falling onto my plate. Um, you know, the systems aren't working, et cetera. She just was totally overwhelmed, beyond burnt out. She hadn't had dinner with her husband in a year. So she's feeling like she doesn't have a lot of power in this situation. But actually, there was so much more. Uh, she was being the thermometer. When she's the thermostat, then she, we really thought through like, 
what is the underlying issue in this situation that is kind of causing this whole problem? And so she started to put together a vision of how all of this could like be undone and be different. She brought together all like her peers and everyone who was involved in this situation, shared her vision, talked about it in a way that would be motivating for them to take back the work that they had put onto her plate. So, you know, they aligned and they uh, bought in and she kind of restructured the group, et cetera. And uh, so she did this and then they were all like, well, this is way better, actually. You know, everybody's like workload and the way we're all communicating together and and the whole tone of it. You know, she got back much more control. She delegated. And so there she elevated her team and they were much more like kind of happy and had a sense of ownership. And um, within three months of doing this, she got a $75,000 retention bonus. The CEO of the company brought her in and said like, okay, you're on the fast path to CTO. So like get busy preparing yourself. And she was three levels down. So it's just an example of like, she thought like there was nothing. Well, I had said something to my manager and he didn't change it because he was helpless too. You mean, but like when somebody really is the steward. She was the steward of the situation, right? And she understood all the different moving parts and she appointed herself the one to, you know, so she actually created an organizational solution to something that seemed like it was a personal problem, but it wasn't. And you always have that power. And when you're a leader in your power, you raise everyone around you. Right. I like that. Not feeling helpless. Again, my life's mission. You're not helpless. Regardless how bad it is, you're not helpless. Okay. And this sense of I'm not waiting for somebody else to tell me what to do or approve what needs to be done or whatever. Uh, Occasionally there's an issue around budget, but that's a separate issue. Um, I'm getting on with getting it organized. And truthfully, most of the senior managers will say, I'm looking for people to be proactive. And this is exactly what they're looking for. See the problem, take ownership for the problem. That doesn't mean you do it by yourself. That means you organize people. And in doing that, what you're doing is bringing the tensions down. I think that's the sense of being the thermometer there. Your attention, other people's tensions. I get it right? Yeah, you totally get it. Um, You're a quick study. And, you know, what happens in these moments or any moments, you know, when we get kicked out of our power and we react is that we get myopic, right? Mm -hmm. And we're so focused, you know, any of us in this situation could be so focused on how my manager's doing it to me or they're not, you know, seeing all that's on my plate or, you know, I'm at my breaking point and, you know, just really focusing on your own kind of personalized reaction when really where your power is, mm-hmm. right, is that there are, there is, there are infinite, like we, we focus on the finite problem and in your power, you can look at infinite solutions and look at all the energy of the people around her that when she was able to harness that right. and mobilize, like they, they were able to kind of restructure, you know, the whole thing. And, um, you know, Einstein had a quote where he said, imagination is more important than knowledge. Mm-hmm. And this is a good example of that, like, and uh, of where she was able to, you know, as we talk it through, like, you know, see the bigger picture and where we could all get to, right? right. And how it was going to be better for everyone. And like being that thermostat, setting the tone of the culture right. and how we, you know, kind of do the new business 
as usual. And what happens is that we um, we react, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, when you react, if we just deconstruct it here, we reactivate right. like a, something that's inside of us. It's a kind of a kindling that each of us have, right? Where we're concerned about what other people will think or that we don't have control, mm-hmm. all very like kind of human, like universal kind of uh, experiences. And then a situation like that will be like a match, you know what I mean? Yep. That like yep. lights up that personal reaction. And then all we can see, we're just emotionally hijacked. All we can see is like, again, how we feel powerless and we're kind of done too in that way. And um, it literally um, sets our, 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 um, our human stress reaction, sets us up to focus on what we can't control. Like we are so set up to be out of our power unless we transcend these factory settings. It sets us up to uh, not... Um, really think broadly in terms of like solutioning. And um, so we're set up, but we we can so learn to be, you know, in our power and get back in our power in these situations. Right, right. right. Okay, uh, past situations, yeah. All right, now let me give you an example of this one and give you a quote from you as well. Many people will say, I've gotten my peers all together to try to solve this problem, but they're not interested and I'm wasting my time. All right. When I coach people around that problem, typically what they've done is get their peers together and try to tell their peers what to do or try to change their peers' behavior in ways that make it more comfortable for the individual and both backfire. Okay, and you have a quote, you give away your power trying to change people and circumstances outside of you in order to fix something that's insecure inside of you. So explain. Yeah, well, let me start with a personal example of that. And then uh, I'll tell you what I've come to understand about this. So earlier on in my career, I attended a rock concert in Washington, D.C., Mm-hmm. And as the stadium was starting to fill, I, there was a cluster of people over to my left. And it was one person who I recognized. It was Tipper Gore, who was wife of the then vice president, Al Gore. Right. So without overthinking of it, I went right over to her. I stuck out my hand. You know, I'm Dr. Sharon Melnick. I do research at, you know, at Harvard Medical School. And, I, you know, I help people from difficult childhoods kind of be confident and resilient and come to make the contribution they can make now and, you know, avoid repeating those, you know, parental mistakes. So she's interested. We start to talk and, you know, we kind of have an estrogen fest at a certain point. She turns to her chief of staff and she says, Melissa, would you get Dr. Melnick's contact information? We want to bring her down to the White House to share the policy implications of her research. So I go home. I type up a little something. I send it off. Several weeks later, lacing up my sneaks to go for a run and the phone rings. Melissa. And she says, uh, she starts telling me about these initiatives that Tipper's doing all around, you know, the country, helping millions of families. At a certain point, she pops the question. She says, will you come down to the White House, share the policy implications of your research? So, of course, what do you think I say? Of course, I say, no. (laughs) Don't exactly say no, but I go ahead and guess. That's okay. But, you know, I, I said, well, I, I don't, you know, we're still figuring out what the research will say. I'll get back in touch with you. And of course, you know, never had that opportunity yeah. again. So I gave away my power. Mm. 
I prioritized what I, I pictured myself around that table at the White House. And I thought, you know, they're going to think I'm not smart enough. Mm-hmm. So I prioritized what other people would think about me over the contribution I could have made literally for millions of people around the world. So that's an example of where I was focusing my attention, right? And um, what we do, and I'm, I'm monitoring other people's perceptions of me, and that's when we give away our power, is that we act toward other people in order to get other people to act toward us so that we can have that experience of security and confidence and value. So one of the ways that we do this is that we try to seek others' approval. We try to get other people to think well of us so that they'll validate us, reassure us, compliment us. And then we could say, well, my boss said I'm doing a good job, so I, I must, must be, doing be okay. okay. Yeah. But, and it's not that that feedback is irrelevant. It's highly relevant. It's just um, it's information about your uh, development and constant uh, improvement. It's right. not that's not the ultimate referendum on your worth. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It's um, so uh, we, we have to be able to kind of make that distinction. But I think a lot of us put uh, make it a referendum on our worth, you know, uh, you know, in the workplace. So we we seek approval. And then in, in a way, we're kind of giving our energy in order to get other people to think well of us, which, uh, you know, again, we're all in a way kind of, you know, using one another in, you know, in in this way, but you you have to have a foundation inside yourself in order for what other people to say to stick. And what I was doing, it wasn't trying to seek approval. It was trying to prevent disapproval. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's why I I didn't put myself out there around that table Mm -hmm. in the White House or procrastinate or don't speak up or don't go for next career steps, trying to prevent other people's rejection or disapproval, you know, of you. And um, we give away uh, our power. Like I even had an example of a a colleague of mine uh, just told me uh, this past weekend, like uh, she and uh, a a male colleague of hers are represented by a similar kind of agency. And she's Mm -hmm. come on in the past few months and has really kicked it out of the park in terms of she's, you know, doing very well with this agency. They're putting a lot of resources into her and um, they uh, terminated his contract and he's angry at her not talking to her. This is a good example of like, he was playing his small game, like being angry at her as if it were her fault as, uh, and, and seeing scarce resources that this agency had, right? He was playing his small game, not his big game. His big game is like, if I really have the ability to like bring good stuff, then I'll do it. You know, I'll get back with this agency or I'll do it elsewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's within me. Mm-hmm. It's not up to, right? You know, kind of, I'm not giving my power to this agency. So it's just an example. And it's really relevant in the workplace because as a leader, a leader has to play their big game. Your small game is these kind of indirect approaches where it's your personalized concerns. You're you're acting in a way to get other people to give you, you know, to, to, to make you feel a certain way in you. That's when you're going to, um, 
you know, not uh, share information. That's when you are going to uh, exclude. That's when you're going to put off making the tough decision because you don't want to be criticized, you know, and this is all your small game. And as a leader, you're here to play your big game. Your big game is like, what's in the best interest of all? What's the legacy you want to leave? You know, what's like, what's the purpose, you know what I mean, of your team, of the organization, of your community, et cetera. So um, it's, it's, um, uh, we see any of us, you know, we can be giving away our power and, um, uh, you know, when you're in your power, that's when you make it better for everyone. Right. Okay. I don't think anybody can doubt that being in your power sounds like a great solution. Okay. Totally in, but I can just hear some of my clients listening to this going, but, 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 Wanda. So I'm going to speak for them and say, but, 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 you know, I'm as a colleague, I'm working with a peer and trying to influence a situation and trying to get an outcome that I think is good for the greater part of the organization. And I have a peer who has a particular thing they want and are not going to move off the dime on that particular thing. It's non-negotiable for them. And they've dug their heels in and are not necessarily playing the big game. They may be playing the small game or they may just be defending turf in a way that is legitimate. I mean, it could be truly what they need to do and it could also just be obnoxious. So how do I stay in my power with a colleague like that? Yeah, it's such a relevant question. So the first question that you want to ask yourself in any challenging situation is, where's my power? Mm-hmm. Where's my power? And the the kind of a quick exercise uh, that you can do, and, you know, we sort of talk about this early on uh, in, in, the, in your power book, is to sort out the aspects of the situation that are within your control. I call this your 50%. Mm-hmm. And distinguish those from the aspects of the situation that you can't control, kind of the other 50%. Mm-hmm. Literally, physiologically, Wanda, any moment that you're focused on the aspects of the situation you can't control, you're leaking your power. It's just, right? And, um, but that's exactly, you know, kind of what we're going to be tempted to do. And literally, we're set up right. physiologically to do this. So you really have to just start by asking yourself, you know, what's within my 50%? And meaning, what can I control, or even influence? And like I, uh, uh, and and even in situations where it feels like there's nothing you can control, like this, you know, colleague's motivation, right? There's always, always, always things that you can control. Like even if we just go all the way just to the end of the line, you have a choice about whether that's the right working situation for you, right? right? But there's so much that you can, you know, do even before mm-hmm. that you get to that point. So like. In this situation, like I, I had an analogous situation, I'm, I'm coaching um, someone in a tech company and there's the infamous, you know, kind of friction between engineering and product. And she's a head of an engineering um, team and really wants to do things thorough and do things right. And the product people are always coming in like, do this and have it done in an hour and, you know, interrupting the engineers. And um, she's really, you know, frustrated by this. And she's like, well, I've said something to the product people and they're, you know, so, but there's really two ways that you can go in the situation. One is to try to be really uh, effective at influencing, for example, the product or the, you know, the entrenched colleague, you really have to understand it from their point of view, not yours. It's probably very obvious to you why the product people should not be interrupting your engineers. 
but you really have to think about it like what's in it for them. You know what I mean? What is really important for them? And as long as she's going to them and saying, look, I need you to stop doing this, it's weak leverage. There's nothing in it for them, right? And so um, she really needs to kind of transfer the ownership of the problem. Like there really has to be some problem for them to do this in order for them to have any incentive at all. And or it has to be aligned. It has to be, you know, there has to be something in it for them. So that's the first thing that I would be putting my attention on is mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. really having x-ray vision into this obstinate colleague and right. really understanding them. Right. right. And then the other thing is, is that even, you know, so she'll see how far she can get from that and who in the organization, you know, cares about that. Um, that she could appeal to. But even if nothing changes and product continues to, you know, kind of really, um, you know, drive hard, even still with her team of engineers, there's things that she could control. Like, could she talk to her engineers about how they structure their day and uh, so that they leave time for the interruptions? (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Could Mm -hmm. we put Mm -hmm. together better communication, at least if they're going to interrupt to be a little more controlled or proactive or some more structure around it or any of these kinds of things? So she, there could be some way in which she could try to embrace the things that are not within her control because she's, she knows it. And she can be proactive about it. And maybe she can even like re-sculpt the way that they, um, you know, kind of do right. their job, et cetera. So, and, and then all of this, of course, always is, um, you know, the, the, the um, kind of emotional reaction that you have or don't have. Um, it all comes really from increasing your sense of control. So the mantra is be impeccable for your 50%, meaning take a hundred percent responsibility for all that goes on within your 50%. And you don't really know how much better the situation could be or how much it could change or what the possibility is until you've done that, set a benchmark of time, and then see how it's unfolded. I have seen this play out in so many ways. You know, when somebody says, look, I understand why my colleague is pushing for that. I don't agree with it, but I understand where it's coming from. I understand why, I understand why it makes a difference to them, why they think it's urgent. Okay, so what can I change in other places? What can I change in the structure? What can I change in the communication? What can I change in the incentives? What can I change in the strategic direction? I mean, there's a whole bunch of choices of things that could be changed around that allow you to maybe let that colleague have a little bit more of what they want. Yeah. And I think it's just, you know, what you're modeling here is again, is um, this sense of uh, an abundance mindset, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That we get so focused on like, they need to change or I need, you know, there's like some finite like kind of solution, which is the only thing that we could see, we get blinded by it. And I just loved like the way you just riffed, like we could do this and we could Mm -hmm. shift this and we could tweak this and it could be this. And That's the idea of being in your power and using your power, right? To have that sense of agency and to see that um, when when you're not kind of in the mental swirl of the situation, right? That there's so much more uh, possibilities. We could look at the underlying issue. We could look at, you know, like the bigger picture uh, outcome. And it just gives everyone a greater sense of possibility and People want to be around you as a leader when that's your come from. 
Yeah, because that's a lot more fun than the reverse direction. I see an awful lot of times, too, when people are taking actions to try to change somebody else's behavior. And it's usually because I don't like what this colleague is doing. I don't have ownership over that colleague, so I can't, as their manager, give them feedback in a direct and actionable way. Um, And I'm taking an action that's trying to nudge them into changing something, not just about what they're doing, but fundamentally about who they are. I tend to find people don't respond terribly well to that. They don't change very much, even when they're under control about it. And they're certainly not going to change it. What does appear? I'm trying to tell them what to do. And if you can abandon that mindset, like I'm not going to change them. Now what? That's the that's what you mean by the 50% you can control. Yeah, and really maximize what it is that you can control. And uh, I, I, I'm sure we both often see that, um, uh, like, be aware that a lot of times we are making it an interpersonal friction mm-hmm. when really it's a structural issue. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And then we're getting all like wrapped up and blaming and, and, you know, we do that fundamental attribution error, right? You know, cognitive bias built into our brain. We're going to think that that person is deliberately, you know, digging their heels in uh, when really, like you were saying, that they're probably set up and incentivized in their role uh, to do that. So that's always going to be, and again, it's such a good example of like, you have the power, you know what I mean, to address that underlying issue. May not be easy, maybe, you know, more of an influence and campaign, but that's a great example of when you're in your power, you raise everyone around you. I have, um, I'm going to do one more example, and then we're going to move on to how else do we get into our power and what do we do with this one? But my last example on this one is, um, it happens to be a woman in this case, but a client who's been a client for a while and looking for a promotion. Mm-hmm. And the promotion isn't coming and isn't coming and isn't coming and isn't coming, even though the words behind the scenes are all very good things. We're going to get there. We want to get there. And she starts taking that personally and starts believing you're lying to me. I can't trust you. You don't value me. And so the promotion becomes a test of her was the word you used before a referendum on her worth? It's hard not to. It's a thing you want desperately. And um, she said at the end, you know, so we do a whole bunch of things about, wait a minute, what can you control? And why might this not be happening? And what's really going on behind these scenes? And what is this really about? And it turns out the problem is not really about her or her worth. It is a structural problem having to do with what do we do with this half of the organization when we give you the promotion, how is that going to work? And how are we handling that from a structural point of view? So right. So many times it has little to do with you. Yeah. Thank you for raising this uh, issue and educating people to know what, you know, is one of the possible explanations to really look for. Um, uh, I have so much to say about this, you know, as you know, you know, run programs for uh, women to, you know, to advance and retain women in the workplace. And so let me say a few things that um, we might want to be thinking about in this situation. So um, that uh, this is all too common, especially for a highly talented um, woman to be overlooked and undervalued. And, um, and one of, um, 
one of the common things that happens is that when you can't control a situation, like when you've asked, when it's been promised, when it's not happening, one of the things that we do to try to um, have a sense of control is that we take on responsibility and we blame ourselves. So this is a natural function uh, faculty of you know human beings is that we have when there's a fact, we have to explain why that fact is happening. So we make up a story about it. We right. create an dream. and we all do that. This is universal. This is what distinguishes us from animals, right? And instinct. So um, this is very healthy for us, but we want to be aware of the stories uh, that we tell and of what might really be going on in the situation. But when you feel that you don't have a sense of control, what we do is that we then blame ourselves. We make ourselves wrong because it, when we do that, it makes us hope that, well, if I continue to get better and fix myself and yeah, you know, I mean, there might be, I'm sure there's always things, you know what I mean? That you could do to be, you know, improve, but psychologically it gives you, uh, it, it protects you from that sense of helplessness that they are just not seeing me for who I am and my talents. So, um, but then it really puts a, a woman in that situation in a swirl because it's kind of a perfect storm. What we know from the McKinsey Lean-In Report from many years, um, uh, every year, is that there are certain gender biases that she might be experiencing. So it is likely that she will be getting feedback that is more vague, might sound something like, you're doing a great job, keep going, which gives her no guidance about what to actually right. do to, you know, kind of improve her business outcomes right. or, um, you know, her interpersonal uh, effectiveness. And um, she may not be given uh, all of the support or, or sponsoring, you know, to get to that next level. And so she's left personally kind of spinning and confused, which will lead her to try to have that sense of control, right? Well, it right. must be something uh, about me. So you really want to um, kind of sort through more systematically. Right. And one right. more thing that I'll say about that is that there could be, um, uh, you know, frank gender bias that is occurring or at play often, you know, and so you, you want to try to get a sense of it. Like, for example, the prove it again bias. Yeah. Um, this is, uh, you know, where a, a collective unconscious where any of us could um, uh, evaluate a man based on his future potential, uh, put him in the role, he'll figure it out. Uh, whereas we'll evaluate the women based on her past and current accomplishments. Well, let's put her in a lateral role or keep her in her current role for two years. Let's see how she develops. And then we'll yeah. think about yeah. promoting. Yeah. So yeah. this is where there might be a force at play, which really, like you're saying, has nothing to do with her. But when you are aware of what these biases are, you can identify them and you know how to overcome them. Act on that them. Yeah. increases your sense of control right. and, and overcome right. stuckness. Right. Yeah. The um, you know, getting the concrete feedback of what it is you really need to prove, male or female, is essential for being in control and having something to do about that. That's for sure. And yes, we're all subjected to biases. It's part of the human condition, without a doubt. I'm going to say in my story, those were not the issues. It really right. was a it structural was issue. Right. But it took her a year to finally get her head around, oh, this isn't about me. This is about a structural issue. I finally see it. They kept telling her. She just didn't believe it. Anyway, so that's why enough on, on that one. Let's yeah. move on um, because I want to focus before we run out of time on what do we do to be more in our power. And you have six actions that we take to be in our power. You've talked about a couple of them, but just tick off the six for us that we can do to be yeah. in our power. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. So this is based on the kind of frame of the book is the 12 power portals. And uh, it's kind of like in any stuck situation. It's like there's like 360 degrees around you. There's these portals and um, six of them are about how to be in your power, get back in your power, stay in your power. Six of them are about how you use your power for good. So in terms of kind of getting in your power, staying in your power, uh, of course, the very first thing is to ask, where's my power? Sort mm-hmm. out what is within your 50%. That's just sort of always going to be a given. Right. One of the first things you always want to think about doing is to uh, uh, set uh, an intention uh, by asking the question, what is the outcome that I want in this situation? And who do I need to show up as in order to start moving the situation in this, you know, moving toward that outcome? Because this is, again, what's happening is that it feels like uh, you're not in control in the situation and uh, things are going sideways. And so um, the moment that you start being intentional and showing up as who you want to be, right, you're participating in the situation like on your own terms. And it immediately, when you're in your power, you shift the power dynamic. So uh, there's a whole portal which helps you really to define kind of who that is and how you step into it in an instant in any situation. Intention. I keep using that word with my clients, my coaching clients. I want you to be intentional about your leadership. Uh, So now I'm going to use some other words like what outcome are you looking for and how are you going to show up to make that outcome possible? Okay. Yeah, really good. All right. I think, um, you know, um, I, I think, uh, you know, your your mindset that the, the the way that you think about the situation is immediately going to put you in a good place or or keep you in an emotional place. So, um, you know, my go to in any situation that is really uh, taking me out of my power is to bring it back in my power by asking, how might this be happening for me? not to me. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's just like insta empowering and it just shows you, you know, the learning and the opportunity for you. And then there's, you know, many um, kind of mindsets and and I educate you about the biases that are built into the human brain that can keep us out of our power. But that that's really my fave. Um, okay. That's a go-to. And um, especially when things are really not going your way and you, you know, you really wish it were different. That is the kind of instant change kind of question. How's that happening for me, not to me? So I'm taking the personal out. I'm putting it in the context and in the situation, the circumstances. So anybody else in that circumstance would be having a similar experience. And it's not to me. I think I get your meaning there, right? Yeah, I think that's right. But it's also like, um, uh, instead of, because that, you know, it's... um, it's that victim word, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's sort of like instead of this, uh, and there's a, a quote by, you know, one of my clients in the book who got out of a pickle situation. You know, she says, when it's happening to me, I'm the victim. And when it's happening for me, I'm the victor. You know what I mean? That I like it, it helps me to transcend it and to make, uh, make it into something that's going to help me actually grow and make it better not mm-hmm. only for me, but for everyone around me. So this is something that you could do literally in an instant in your own mind in any situation. Okay. All right. So I've got, I have to understand what's my power, meaning the 50% that I control and I own. I have to understand what's my intention, how I'm showing up. I need to understand my mindset. How is it happening for me, not to me? 
How do we become more the victor than the victim? I like that phrasing and the biases that happen. Are there other things that we need to be doing to stay in our power? Yeah, for sure. So just to give a little bit of a highlight of some of the other uh, portals, um, there's uh, a whole in-depth, you know, chapter portal that I go into about that emotional reaction. Mm -hmm. I've really, really come to, as I observe my own self, uh, kind of really understand how being able to uh, deal with your emotional reactions, which are very visceral, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we each experience our emotions differently. For some people, it's really like, you know, you really get a pit in your stomach, you know, your throat constricts, or, you know, you just feel a whole wash over your body. Um, and some people, it's just a, a little blip on the screen. You don't really notice it. You're not as in touch with it, but that's really where it begins. That's where the reaction kind of begins. And so you really, uh, to get back in your power, to stay in your power, you really need to develop the ability to move your emotions through your system, clear them out through your system, and then kind of fill yourself back up with kind of calm um, and, you know, objective thinking, and also with joy and pleasure, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's a lot of times in those uh, moments, like my dance breaks, you know what I mean? That's when I really remember who I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as well as doing I, things that keep us, you know, in a flow when when you really remember who you are. Okay, so I love that, that I have to move the emotions and clear the system so that I'm not suffering from that amygdala hijacked or whatever other phrase you use for it. And I'm going to fill back up with calm and objective. All right, do you have a favorite go-to strategy on how you clear those emotions, assuming that the option isn't always... I'm going to leave the office and go and do my dance class or my dance performance or whatever else it is I love to do. So what's your favorite way? Well, I think everyone has to develop their own personal repertoire. And it Mm -hmm. also depends on the emotional state. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, so like for anger, it's a very energizing, you know, your blood is kind Mm -hmm. of roiling, right? So that's a really like moving it through. So anything that's really vigorous and safe is going to be good for you, whether it's smashing golf balls, you know, smashing pillows, going into your car, rolling up the windows on the way home and like letting it rip with a scream. Uh, For me, my go-to is the boxing bag, you know, at my gym. Um, uh, But it could, you know, it could be a rage song dance break. I literally, one of the you know, resources from the book as I maintain like a Spotify list of different like emotions <laughs> and like songs, you know, you can use to get it through. But sometimes if you really feel sad and hurt, it's different. It's not a kind of an energized, like you got to push it through with vigorous weightlifting or, you know, exercise. It's more of a, um, you know, it's more of a tender, like maybe swaying your body, uh, you know, to the music or, you know, going within and, and journaling or going, you know, out into nature or something like that. So you really have to pay attention to kind of like the signals uh, of your body. Okay. Well, all right. Those are all techniques I suggest to clients all the time. Um, but that's important to tag it to the emotion. So anger, I need to do something vigorous. <laughs> and sad, I need to do something more tender. Yeah. Gentle. Yeah, for sure. And there's a whole suite of like breathing techniques in the book that instantly kind of reconnect your emotional centers with your rational center. So you know how to do that. Um, and and even in particular, um, uh, you know, we need to be doing this in real time, yeah. uh, which is um, important. Like, so for example, there's uh, one, one of the 
breathing techniques in the book is um, if you're really angry at what's going on and um, and many people are now conscious on Zoom of like, you know, are you showing it in your face or how do you kind of de-escalate a situation? So one thing that people can do is a cooling breath, cooling breath, which is a reverse breath where you breathe in through your mouth as if you're creating a wind tunnel over the top of your tongue, sipping in, out through your nose. Cooling breath, um, and I, I sort of give the instructions for it uh, in the book, but very, very helpful. It, it takes you out of that hijack, puts you back in your frontal lobe so you can be intentional. And it has a secret ninja weapon aspect to it where not only will it calm you down, it will calm down everyone around you. <laughs> which is another good example of like this reverberative ripple effect that you have when you are in your power. Right. Well, and also, I think we react to the emotions that other people are experiencing. Uh, even if we're not saying them, I think we feel them. You just think about being around somebody who's energized and excited, and enthusiastic, it lifts your spirit. And being around somebody who's negative and discouraged kind of brings everybody's spirit down. I think we respond to that. And I think calmness is yet one. When you're calm, then I think that reverberates to other people. Yeah, I think people want that. And that, that's why I filled the book with, you know, tools uh, for that, because that, that's when people feel at their best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that makes you an inspiring leader. And that makes somebody people want to be around you and work with you and be on your team and contribute. And that's a win, win, win. Um, All right, let's shift because I know we're going to run out of time uh, to talk about how to use your power. So what are the six portals for using your power? Yeah. And, um, and there's a couple we didn't get to, but people can uh, check it out for themselves. And, you know, some of the um, uh, ways that you can use your power um, are um, one of my favorite ones uh, in the book is uh, how to share your powerful truth, you know, how to, how to do so in a way that really moves people to action. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that, um, you know, when you share your powerful truth, uh, it um, introduces a new level of authenticity and humanity mm -hmm. that requires people, compels people to pay attention to you with a new level of engagement. And there's there's deft ways of doing this. So you want to do so in a way that is, um, you know, really intentional and, uh, you know, will be uh, effective for you. But I think I think uh, we crave this now. I think that we um, and we really respond to people who kind of use their powerful voice in a way that is going to, you know, kind of engage all of us and and create a new bar, you know, set a new standard for all of us. So I think when you're a person who knows uh, how to do that, that you um, will get a lot of followership. And, you know, there's a lot of examples uh, of that. And, um, you know, I think it's important to talk about the power of position mm -hmm. because that's usually like the first place that we go, right. you know, and we think like, well, right. it's not in my job title, so I don't have that power. Right. right. And uh, I think that that's our whole conversation today, Wanda, you know, is about like sort of expanding the definition of what's in our power. And I encourage each and every one of you listening to think of the power that you have, it's it's beyond just like, you know, the actual metrics that are like, or, you know, responsibilities that are written in your job position. Because like, for example, like you have the power to, uh, the leader creates the weather on the team. Okay. The leader creates the weather on the team. So you have the power to create and forge psychological safety, which we know will get the best, right. you know, right. uh, productivity and innovation from your people. Um, like you, uh, 
you have relational power mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Um, again is not written you know into uh, your job description but is often going to be how things get done like I'll, I'll just give you an example of this so I coached a woman who is uh, the head of the engineers in an engineering firm and um, she saw that people were starting to leave you know the culture wasn't really uh, keeping them and also it uh, it just um, because she had put together like a women's network she saw, that um, that the women weren't getting paid uh, the same. So this was something that she wanted to work on. So she had gone to the two owners of the firm and she had said, look, you know, we need to improve the culture here. And she'd gotten kind of a postponement, a kind of like non-response. She thought, I don't have any power in this situation. I said something, right? And mm-hmm. she started to take it personally, second guess herself, think there was nothing she could do about it. So we worked together and... Uh, there's so much more power than she thinks she has. So she has relational power. For example, she's highly beloved amongst, you know, her colleagues and they start to talk together at that peer managing director level about improving the culture, right? And lo and behold, you know, they start to improve the retention uh, issue. She starts to make more effective relationships with the board members and she has a way of uh, influencing them so that they really see like the owners, what's in it for them. Actually, they're going to increase their valuation if they do some of these things that, you know, she's recommending and she is very effective at influencing them. So three months later, they uh, owners of the firm agree to reduce their ownership by 30%. They distribute that to the highest revenue um, producers. And, uh, you know, this is an example, and they're so taken with her and how she's creating kind of this new culture that's, you know, raising everyone that they put her into the CEO position. So it's just an example of like someone who like, she's like, well, but I don't have any power. I said something, you know what I mean? And that's not in my job description is to like project manage the engineers. You know what I mean? Right. And, um, oh, and there, there was one other thing that she did actually, which she said, you know, look, this example of sharing a powerful truth, she said, look, I really want to be part of an ownership kind of team. Like that's important to me. And so I'm telling you, like, I want to do that. I would love to do that here. But if I can't do that here, then I'm going to be doing that elsewhere. You know what I mean? And they were like, that was like, she had already prepared them with the influencing campaign. And then that was like kind of the final, she owned her value. Mm -hmm. I mean, so you could just see that starting off thinking she had no power, but actually she had all this power. And as a leader, she raised everyone around her. Sharon, we could keep talking forever. So this has been a fabulous discussion. Again, I can't recommend the book highly enough. It's called In Your Power, React Less, Regain Control, and Raise Others. Sharon Melnick is my guest today. Sharon, if people want to get in touch with you, how should they find you? Yeah, thanks so much. So my website is SharonMelnick.com. And uh, if you want to get some of the resources and bonuses uh, for the book, it's InYourPowerBook.com. Perfect. All right. Thank you very much, Sharon. It's been a great conversation. I just love this notion. I think I'm going to say my hang on to is the 50% that you control, that understanding that is your power. And there's a lot more in that than anybody gives credit for, Um, plus all the other tools and techniques that we've talked about. So thanks for being a guest today. What a delight. Thank you. Thank you. And if you like the podcast, please like us on your favorite podcast provider, and we'll see you next week for another episode in getting out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.